0: Welcome to In the Deep. I'm your host, Catherine Ingram. The following was excerpted from a Zoom session of Dharma dialogues held on January 2nd, 2022. It's called A Marriage of Newness. So, this phrase, Happy New Year, bandies about in our world comes around once a year, (laughs) I always find it curious somehow because really it always seems like just another day, another moment. I feel that about most of the holidays, but I recognize that it's a cultural event. And so I I was considering this idea of new. So I found this quote I'd like to read from a German photographer who died a few years ago. Her name is Ruth Bernard. Looking at everything as if for the first time reveals the commonplace to be utterly incredible. If only we can be alive to the newness of it. Looking at everything as if for the first time, and I'm going to add as if for the last time as well, looking at everything as if for the first or last time reveals the commonplace to be utterly incredible if only we can be alive to the newness of it. The newness of an experience, right? There's a way in which we get jaded, especially as we age. It just It's, it's a very strong force that happens to most of us. We get jaded, sort of been there, done that, seen that, thought that, heard that. And often we miss what in Zen is called the beginner's mind, the view from the beginner's mind. Now, many of us have amazing experiences, ordinary experiences, all through the day. After I read that quote, I went to take a bath. And I have this really cool tub in my house. It's sort of an egg shape, so you can just kind of curl up in it almost. And I looked at this tub. I turned on the water, which is so easy to do, to get hot water to fill this fantastic tub. And I really saw it. I had just read that quote and I really saw it. I saw it anew. I mean, I knew it was very cool when I bought the house and I've noticed it since, but but I saw it as if for the first time, just the, 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 the structure of it, that somebody actually built that thing. A lot of people built that thing. And then you can just turn on the water and get in it and have a soak in such a luxurious situation. And I really experienced the whole process anew. Can we allow that kind of newness to be often in our day? Obviously, we can't expect it to be every moment. And much of the time we do experience ordinariness and we don't even think about it and we take things for granted, it's just human. But can we actually bump our attention into saying, huh, a new moment, right? A new experience, even though I'm doing this for the 10,000th time. Many, many years ago, I had just finished, I'd just done a, a, a one of many Buddhist retreats. This one happened to be on the island of Kauai in 1975. It was a three week retreat, a long retreat uh, in silence. And one of the guys at the retreat put a note on my Zafu in silence, didn't say speak to me, but it was at the end of the retreat when we could legally speak. And his note was the best pickup line ever. It's, he said, would you like to come with me and watch a totally original sunset? <laughs> Great line. I didn't do it, but he certainly got credit for um, his cleverness. But it, was also, it also points to the way you think, oh, another sunset, seen a lot of sunsets, but you hadn't seen that one. It was a one-off first and last. Eyes are frankly, all of the moments of your life. When you get a glass of water out of your faucet or the fridge, when you take a bath, when you cook something, when you say hello to a friend. The newness of things. Everything has to do with what you're doing with your attention, how you're experiencing any moment of your life. It's just all about your attention.
1: I think I've been sort of in a similar headspace, especially, you know, how many, we've been spend so much time now in our own homes, maybe not you, because you could go out now more easily. But, you know, in our own homes, my husband actually tested positive for COVID. You know, he's all boosted and everything, but so it was like a little cold, but he's been in quarantine or whatever it's called isolation for five days now. So he's in the basement. I'm up here. My 20 year old daughter sort of wants to mostly spend time with me when it involves food (laughs) and you know, it can get kind of boring Mm-hmm. It can feel sort of like oh, the same four walls mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and sort of trying to liven it up and, and make things new again is it takes a little creativity. And yeah. uh, I was thinking of my husband and I recently started a new little project that I proposed because of that feeling. That we've been together, you know, 28 years. It's like sometimes do I have anything new to say to you? so i had this idea that we should we just finished watching 1971 the year the music changed america which is an amazing series i saw
0: i saw most of it yeah
1: yeah and then get back the whole beatles the beatles odyssey which is fantastic and i I said yeah i said instead of sitting in front of the tv four nights a week maybe one of those nights we could do like a musical road trip and we pick one list. The obvious one was Rolling Stone 100 best albums of all time. And we spend an evening and we just listen Mm. to the music like no chit chat. Maybe if you want to do a little research to get a little background, whatever. But the point mostly being let's actually just listen. Yeah. And and intensively. And maybe music that is old will find new things in. New music we've never heard, or maybe I've never chosen to listen to a ZZ Top album. I'm probably familiar with one of their songs, maybe, but maybe we'll give ZZ Chop another chance Mm -hmm. after 56 years or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it has ended up being one of our favorite evenings. Oh, and And it's that's exactly what you said. It's like this intention and this focus of, of your attention on something is sort of almost what makes it come alive.
0: Exactly. Yes. Um, that is the point of the phrase beginner's mind, is to, to actually revisit anything, but revisit it as if for the first time. In fact, there you could make a case that it is the first time, <laughs> right? Because that moment you're sharing with your husband, sitting down and you're listening to all those things, even though you have an incredible history together, but that moment actually is fresh. Yeah. And also, I I wanted to just say as an aside, I really hear you about, you know, a long marriage whereby, (laughs) and I've heard this from many, many people, whereby you feel like you can finish each other's sentences and even before they say it, <laughs> um, <laughs> before they even start the sentence. But there's also something kind of cozy about that, isn't there? I mean, there's something. Oh yeah, kind of, definitely. Well, yeah. So always to, with so many of the kinds of thoughts we have, um, and I'm not saying you were having a thought that this was a, a negative or boring thing necessarily. But with so many of those kind of thoughts, we can counter them. We can basically say, yeah, but how nice
2: that.
1: Right. um, I mean, it is, and it's sort of the balance. I mean, I know one thing they say about long marriages that do well is there's, or that is helpful for a marriage of any length is novelty, but you're right. It could just as well be attention. Sure. Yes. You know?
0: Yeah. And by the way, obviously some marriages do go their separate ways for whatever reasons, very good reasons so often that people do drift apart. that sure. also happens you know I'm not not saying you've got to always find some kind of freshness when really it may have already played out but I don't think that's the case in your in your situation at all <laughs>
1: so yeah no, no but, but little things like this help it's big, it's interesting and yeah. suddenly we're, intensely engaged in the same endeavor of attention yes
0: yes yes. i i recommend do you know the film a walk on the moon i do not okay i highly recommend it okay it's with liv schreiber Mm diane uh what's her name
3: i forgot
0: her name diane something uh she's a Big-time actress um, vigo Mortensen. I think it was his his first big role. He was known as the blouse man in the film. It's an incredible film, and it's a powerful film. and And there's a there's a subplot about marriage in it that you'll find interesting.
2: Great. Walk on the moon. <laughs> About the newness, I realized, I don't I don't remember choosing it, but I remember it chose me that, uh, like, for instance, among many other things, old things or repeated things in my life, like, for instance, when I started, when I realized that I'm getting old, I thought, I found myself thinking, wow, it's the first time I'm getting old. <laughs> Immediately, I'm not saying that I loved everything about getting old, there were quite a few things which I did not love, but there was something, the newness, all, most of the time, pushed me to other places. Oh, yeah, that's a new wrinkle. No, I don't really like it, but it's new, completely new. So, this is one thing. And then also with marriage, uh, we were married for 48 years, my husband and I, and we have changed like everybody else and not always parallel. By our marriage, I noticed there were, there were options of either to separate and to remarry if we want or just to change the marriage so we had we declared of three marriages so mm-hmm. whenever we had like for instance when we were in marriage number three which was the last one and uh one of us started behaving like marriage number two which we did not like very much oh from also there is a oops Stop. This is this belongs to marriage number two. So it
0: was. (laughs) No, wait a minute. Did you actually get divorced in between these marriages? No, no. no. Okay. No, just two phases. Yes. And are you married? Are you
2: married now? My husband died half a year ago, and that's what I wanted to share. He died half a year ago after forty-eight years together, and of course, this is. I don't have to say devastating. Really sad, big grief. And as 2022 started, and I relate to what you said, Catherine, because also for me, it was, okay, so it's just another day. No big deal, never celebrated with all these parties. But this time I said, let's try to treat it differently. And on the first morning of 2022, I was sitting outside, listening to the birds, writing my journal, realizing that 2021 was the last year I was married. And this is the first year that I'm not married. Mm -hmm. So what actually I thought, this is the first year they did not meet Yoram, which is my man. And there was some excitement that started coming into my vein. I really felt the excitement of the newness. Mm -hmm. Not the excitement that he's not here with me, but the newness. And I thought, maybe I can even treat this actually new uh, reality as something new.
3: Yeah. So,
2: yeah.
0: So. It's a great, great frame on the entire thing. I hear you, uh, as you've described with the various phases of your marriage. And I like the way you put that. This is yet another phase of, of life, right? It's another it's another journey now that has a different, uh, different feel to it because your partner is not journeying with you in it. But then one finds that as powerful a space as that is in a life, a partner, a life spousal type partner. That's a huge, they occupy a huge space in day-to-day life. Suddenly, that's all freed up. That's all that incredible you know placeholder is now kind of empty, not in your heart, but empty in terms of the day-to- day. And so another part of the journey is opening to all kinds of things that might come in. And it might be friendships or something you get involved with that is of interest to you that you might not have done when your partner was around. All the ways that life sort of rolls in, drifts in or seeps in, um,
2: in new ways as well. So it's... it's, As you're talking, I'm thinking maybe, maybe this is marriage number four. I'm here yes. in, another, in another dimension.
0: Yes, exactly. Yes, and and it's an it's a beautiful way to think of marriage as well. That it's it, it's like a part when you think of it as a partnership, and it's a, it can be a partnership with your with your adventure or with your journey or with whoever comes into your orbit, right? Whoever comes in, even just for a day, a friend that you go do something with, right? One of the things I really appreciate about, I, of course, I have many, many, many friends who are married and I, I sometimes have a friendship with them as a couple. Sometimes I have more of a friendship with one or the other of them. But one of the things I greatly appreciate about my single friends is that when you're with them, you're their momentary partner. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> there's no sense that there's a there's another entity out there that has to be constantly considered or that you feel them as part of. Even in the most free of people who are in marriages, that's that's part and parcel of the partnership of a marriage. But with single people, you know, it's like you're just, you love the one you're with, essentially, like the old uh, Crosby, Stills and Nash song. <laughs> you know, you just love the one you're with. <laughs> and that's also fun. That can be very fresh and new as well. And there's also the thing of how the chemistry between any two friends is uniquely itself. There's a unique chemistry. So there's that freshness constantly as well. It's like you get to be a new you each, each time.
1: Yeah, thank you.
0: You're welcome. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Hi, hello.
4: Hi, <laughs> Hi nice dear. To see you again and nice to see you again. Nice to see you. I was appreciating everyone talking about newness because newness is, is so attractive and so wonderful when, when you encounter it, you know. But I was just reading Michael Pollan's um, How to Change Your Mind. Uh-huh. Uh, have you read it? No,
0: but I've heard him interviewed about it, so I, I do get the gist. Yes. Okay. Okay.
4: So one of the mm, I think chapters was about um, the default mode net network of the brain. Uh huh. And I think we operate a lot with that, of course. Automatically, we're working with that, and also when when something new comes in, a new piece of information, a new Idea, a new uh, recipe, you know, that we spend some time trying to kind of almost plant it into the default mode network. So I know how to do this, you know. And I remember when my one of my grandkids was seven, you know, and we'd start to bake cookies, and she would say, "I know how to do this," you know. <laughs> like she had it under control, although she had because she had done it a couple times, and you know, I would be aware that. I didn't really have it down, know. <laughs> but um, there's some something that we, some way that the brain works when we try to get it down, whatever it may be, and then at some point it's it's in that default mode network, and we see the the way, the right way to make that cookie, um, the right way to hit a golf ball or something, and that's the right way. It's hard to see the new way, you know, because we've. We've worked so hard at and taken some pride, maybe, in in uh, in getting there. You know, to where to where it's automatic and part of us. But then the question becomes: uh, How do you suspend that, or how do you get to newness and freshness again? You
0: know? Yeah, as you were speaking, the word um, curiosity was rising in my awareness. So I think one of the things that comes with beginner's mind. Is also a kind of curiosity. And it's it has to do with the pleasure of learning something new or seeing something new that makes you have a moment of aha, oh, hadn't considered that before. And so even to the point of cooking, for instance, making cookies, I notice in my own case. I have a natural inclination to change the recipe. Like I'll I'm quite a foodie. I love food. And so I'll be tasting as I go and I'll be thinking, what what other taste might I like in this? And it might be a recipe that I've had at someone's house and I thought this is excellent. I'm going to get the recipe, I'm going to make it. But then as I go, I notice I'm going to tweak it a little bit. And I do that with pretty much everything (laughs) I'm constantly tweaking because I'm curious about it and I'm wondering just let's see another way I don't know if that keeps a kind of freshness maybe it does in my awareness or a kind of beginner's mind but I do I do notice that I am willing to shake things up just to see you know just to see it anew and I do recommend that somehow. And I want to say stay young, not that I am staying young. <laughs> I've been coming to terms with, with that. <laughs> the fact of, of aging is certainly very, very clear. But but I do notice that my mind, sometimes it's feeling like it's getting younger. It's getting more free of the conditioning and the assumptions And really shaking up a lot of things that I thought I knew about the world, about how things work, about belief systems, and so on. I'm feeling very challenged in all those ways, and it's a good thing. So, yes, to your point, I think with children, part of their developmental stage is getting confidence in doing something and saying, yes, I know how to do this. Because they need a certain added Confidence, even if they're not actually ex- expert in the thing they think they're doing. But as we get older, it kind of goes in reverse. You think, oh, I could learn something new about this recipe, or how to make cookies, or how to drive the car, or any number of things that we think we're just doing on rote. And that's to this very point that we're speaking about: what is newness, and how can we just change? You know, the title of that book. Uh, how to change your mind, it, it is certainly a, an inside job having to do with attention. I think a lot of it, although he he makes a case for mind expanding drugs and, and experiments and, you know, plant medicine and so on. Fair enough. But I think that it can be done also through a habit of just saying, do I really know this? It's like Katie Byron stuff, you know, do do I really know this truth so-called
4: i love i love that too -hmm. to Mm -hmm. to subject things to your to a set of questions that keep you on your toes let's say yeah absolutely Mm yeah (laughs) catherine i'd like to ask a question about the newness of each breath Mm and you know i'm trying to think that when i meditate and and when i lead meditations you know this this breath has never come before and this breath will never come again and i know that a challenge that people face when they're meditating is and focusing on the breath is like this again <laughs> breath these breaths are all the same and and they're not and it's the you know i just wondered if you could Speak to that idea about the newness of each breath and and have any tip on how people can really, you know, really appreciate the uniqueness of each breath. Like what might be helpful to pay attention to in terms of sensations or, you know, how you would describe that newness of each breath to someone.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily recommend saying those words every time. That could get a little oppressive and and also... (laughs) kind of become exactly the thing you're trying to counter, which is that, oh, I'm saying this again, right? The newness of each breath. Nor would I say, oh, this again about the breath, but rather it's a direct experience of even just as you said it, I suddenly became hyper aware of the breath I was having. So it's really about allowing the attention to just rest easily in its direct experience, whether it's the breath or the sounds outside or thoughts floating by as they do, or smell, uh, any of the senses, or gratitude, just a background sense of gratitude, just for whatever circumstance you're experiencing, which in our cases, for the most part, they're pretty good, which we forget. And we completely forget that we, we spend a lot of time living in our minds in some other scenario than the one we're in, <laughs> either good or bad. We sometimes spend a lot of time in scenarios that are dark, that are future pictures or past pictures, or we spend time in fantasies about future or memory fantasies about past, many people live their lives, the days of their lives, in a time other than the one they're actually in. Now, I know this is a complicated way of saying be here now, and that's a little bit trite at this point, but it is to this discussion about breath. So that breath is one happening in the moment, it's one happening of our experience here, but there can be a kind of general present awareness, very generalized, very open, that includes thoughts of past and future, but then they become very light and wispy and they just come through the present awareness and then they're on their way. And breath is happening and sight is happening. You're wandering about doing your errands or whatever it is. Um, It's a kind of general flow of awareness. It's very easy and it doesn't have to be super on point. You know, one of my issues with mindfulness practice, after those many years that I did it, I have a certain kind of criticism about it, which is that it's very mindy. Like you're constantly noting things. Like there's a constant notation. So a much more generalized, open, spacious awareness that isn't noting, but is actually directly experiencing. Just like when you eat something, you don't have to say, tasting, tasting, for you to be tasting. Animals don't have to do that. We are animals, we don't have to do that. Mindfulness is very good to, as Francis Lucille, a teacher I admire, he said, it's like giving the dog a bone so it doesn't chew up the furniture. It's very good initially to get the mind focused because many people's minds are so unfocused and so scattered that you have to give them a bone so that their mind doesn't chew up the furniture. You have to get them focused so many concentration techniques, people have mantras, people have, you know, sayings they say to themselves, or they're banging bells and all kinds of things, doing frustrations, all kinds of things that are basically subsuming the awareness to a single point. But there's a path, one could say, of open, spacious awareness, whereby the mind is no longer chewing up the furniture, it's... Not entirely contained to just chewing on a bone either. It's very, very open and a floating awareness, an awake floating awareness. That is my recommendation. And that also doesn't require a full-time immersion. That is too much to ask, I'd say. It's, It's hard to be... Fully immersed in that kind of present, open, spacious awareness all the waking hours of the day. But just as often as possible is good enough. And I propose it's a whole lot easier than having to be chewing on the bone the whole time. Having to be constantly notating everything that you're experiencing. Which for me, after a point, felt like a weird distancing from my actual experience. And like having homework all the time, like I'm supposed to be noting this. When I'm chewing, I'm supposed to be saying chewing. (laughs) After a point that became tedious and unnecessary and an interruption of my actual direct experience. Thanks. Yeah.
5: Hi, Catherine. Hi, everybody. Hi. Hi. So my practice and my life is open awareness. Mm-hmm. And it can be pretty hairy at times. Uh-huh. Because, uh, I don't have things to hold on to. Mm-hmm. And um, so I wake up this morning and the electricity's still on. I go, wow. <laughs> or I turn on the water. There's still hot water. I and mean, it's like, uh, uh-huh. you know, when you're present... And aware in a certain way it can be a little scary because you don't have any fixed sense and you know I live in a state of California and I know that even though it rained the governor sends the water out in the ocean and we're going to be limited this mm-hmm. starting this year mm-hmm. you know and how many showers you can take and can you do the laundry <laughs> I mean so I took a walk this morning and I felt very grateful Mm. to be out and walking. And I went a little further than I had normally done, but I really am confined to like living in the moment. Yeah. And having a really strong sense of impermanence. And I met somebody yesterday on the street and we talked for about an hour and in the course of the conversation, I said, you know, everything is perfect. Everything is just perfect, no matter what, you know, and of course, that's my teaching, but it's also a good thing t- for me to remind myself. Yeah. It's it pretty scary when you're, yes. yeah. you're very yeah. awake and aware, and you're not, it's like with cooking, my daughter is a foodie, a real foodie, and has a a big Instagram and meals and foods and her, you know, 6,000 followers. I said, Oh my God. So you've got all those people following you, (laughs) whatever, you know? Yeah. It comes more, certain things come more naturally to some. uh, Yeah, um, She likes to take all these photos and post them and she gets business. I'm just saying that kind of open awareness Mm -hmm. and the lack of, the mindful practice.
0: Yeah, it does have, it's much more boundless for sure. And um, and that's also part of its charm. <laughs> but I've always appreciated the crossover with Dzogchen teachings and Advaita teachings and all of the so-called non-dual teachings, which are the mystical teachings of all the traditions. I've really loved that there's different languaging to describe this ineffable, understanding but that they all do point to that
6: so I'm kind of this is new for me Mm -hmm. (laughs) but Mm -hmm. new experience new year and I've been sitting here reflecting on I've got my new diary for the year and how I went for a walk yesterday and you start the new year with the freshness of a clean slate and it smells beautiful and I got my new pen and so the next couple of days are about some planning and I was just thinking about how this time of year is a time to refresh and recalibrate and I get energy from that, the fact that Mm -hmm. we had a house full of visitors over Christmas so the house was cleaned up and my desk is clear Mm -hmm. and How do you, come August this year, it'll be overwhelming me again. And so how do you hold on to the freshness of this moment and the recalibration and the energy that comes with that Mm
0: -hmm, and
6: avoid the overload that seems to happen as the months progress? So there's something very lovely about this time of year to clean the slate and bring on board what you want to take forward, but how do you manage it?
0: In part, it's that you fall in love with a sense of spaciousness in your life, in your surroundings, on your desk, on your to-do list. You you begin to realize an appreciation for space around things, because that allows, first of all, a lot more clarity in the things that you are doing and attending to, right? So that's not all jumbled up, one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. It also allows for a lot more relaxation in yourself. So that's just generally healthy. Mm
6: -hmm.
0: And lastly, it allows for, for magic to catch up with you. In other words, it allows for spontaneity. When you have a little extra space in the day or in your schedule and something comes along that you couldn't have foreseen as an option or a possibility or an opportunity, you've got the space to say yes to that. I don't know if you've ever traveled with someone who needed to have every single thing scheduled in the day. You go on a trip and everything is just from one thing to the next and next to the next. I don't travel that way, but I have by circumstance in my long wandering years, either being hosted by someone or whatever the circumstance, but where the day is mapped out and planned and we're on like a like a regime. And I noticed that it's, it's very anathema to my spirit. It does not work for me because one of the things I really love is kind of just following my nose or, my, or the winds of my internal being or the momentary impulse. I find that an incredible luxury and it's one of the great things for me about traveling. So I never really plan anything once I've planned the trip, but then like I get to a place and I, I really love, for instance, let's say I go to a foreign country. I really like just being in one or two places at the most and really, because you can really get to know a country by being in one of its great spots, whether it's a rural spot or a city, whichever you can, you can learn a lot by just stopping and letting the day unfold and getting to know the, the cheese guy. So to fall in love with, because you're, what you're describing is a kind of appreciation for the clean notebook, the notebook that is not yet filled up, you know, and the brand new pen. And a sense that things are going to get kind of taken care of and caught up on your desk and in your work. I say that you can have that as you go. You don't have to wait till the next year to finally get it all sorted again. Because the enjoyment can be all the way through.
5: Beautiful.
0: Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome.
3: Um, It's good to see you. So, you know, this happily ever after. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> That's not how I'm feeling. And yeah, I just want you to speak to the moment the the other moments that we're in, which is Yeah, the,
0: the, the tough uh, stuff. <laughs>
3: yeah. The, yeah. Not, well, I mean it's it's, it's the, the the question of where's the spaciousness, where's the breath, where's the new beginnings, where's all of that in this time of that we're in, and I know you know well with the time that we're in, with all the different ways that that world is turning. And you know, for me, you know, spaciousness is beautiful, and it's hard to feel to get out of the despair. Actually,
0: mm-hmm. I so, so understand, of course, yeah. But I have come to see that that is the very reason why one has to seize the moment and seize the day, really, like someone in hospice might be experiencing the day. You know, I have had the privilege of knowing quite a few people who were in hospice or they were, they knew they were dying and then died. And I have been amazed at how light, how light they became inside. Now, that doesn't always happen. Of course, it can depend on the degree of pain somebody was in, but in many, many cases, they really weren't sweating the small stuff. They really weren't fixated on the dark future. They were really living the days left to them. And that's what we have to do. That's what we have to do. I agree. It's wild. Really crazy. The narrative that's driving this is just gone into a kind of psychosis. Basically a suicidal psychosis. And how much are you how much of your moments are you going to give to either the fury or the abject fear or the if only story? Or well, how
3: about the what can I do story? How do so what can I, I how do I, story? Do I fear enough this moment that's yeah. to be maybe transforming it.
0: Yes, beautiful. It, the what can I do story is fantastic. And that also might get down to a very local response for you. Because in terms of the big response, the what can I do is pretty tough. It's very tough. And I appreciate that people are trying to address it. And I'm I'm all for it. And they're my heroes. But I'm also, I also am loving the local heroes who are just helping wherever they can in whatever ways they can in a very sort of hands-on way and that you know there's a line I love which is action absorbs anxiety which we all understand who anything one is doing that is sort of helpful just taking a friend who's sick some food there's a way in which your attention shifts into a, a much lighter point so in fully acknowledging, and as you, I have a sense you've read my essay, or you know about it, I have really looked into the problems, you know. I've been kind of fascinated with all of this since I was a journalist, starting in 1982. And I was amazed that hardly anyone else was noticing the what I felt was like an asteroid on the way to us now here we are did you see did you see the uh, film don't look up
3: yeah yeah i mean my family <laughs> lives that all you know we're we're, we're in that we're, we're you're, you're on it yeah yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah <We're> living. <laughs> yeah you, i get
0: that sense yeah and here we are i mean that well i won't say anything about the film because some of you wouldn't have seen it that it does you know it just comes down to these are your precious moments you know we're we're living twice the length of time that most people lived so we're getting like two lives um <laughs> for the price of one and and yes our time is tough but this is what we got we are in a particular moment that is Truly unlike nothing like anything else. I mean, I was ranting and raving about the metaverse last night, which I find quite horrifying. Zuckerberg's um, proposal for us to all have our own little reality to live in, perhaps in some little pod because that's all anyone will be able to afford, uh, and just have your your screen there to pacify the mind in whatever dreamed up fantasy reality. It, it, it's all, again, from my point of view, it's it's going down the path of disaster on all levels, insanity, madness, all kinds of problems. And that is if we make it through long enough to live much time in that, in the metaphors. <laughs> so yes, this is tough. It's a tough time. And just as I said, if you if you were in hospice, it is if if you were actually in hospice, then it becomes very clear. in, in Ireland, they have a saying there's nothing like an execution to concentrate the mind. If you were really in hospice, <laughs> then it's it very clear how would I spend this day? How would I think about this particular situation? When I give certain types of thoughts that are scaring me and worrying me and making me feel bad and making me feel angry, how much time am I going to allow for that? Because I don't have a lot. I don't have a lot to spend. I'm going to have to be judicious about how I'm spending the moments. That's how I've come to see it.
3: Uh So kind of hopeless in a way. Hopeless and the death sentence is here and how are we going to meet that? How yeah, and
0: I and I'm not even I won't even use the word hopeless about it. It's the suchness. And I've come to that. I've come to the suchness. And I've come to having to see, okay, this is what evolution did. This is where it went. This is obviously where it went. I'm part of it. We're all experiencing it. I don't like a lot of how it's going, but it's going that way. So how much time am I going to spend of my precious moments just not liking it? How much time am I going to say it shouldn't be this way? It shouldn't have gone this way. We should stop it. If there were enough of a force to stop it, I'm on that team for sure. I just know I'm not sure that there is. I I said last night, I'll repeat myself, that I feel like more and more I'm like a creature from another century, which I am. (laughs) I was born in, you know... (laughs) in the half of the last century, you know? So um, maybe I'm, I'm you know, a creature that is becoming obsolete, but everything in me tells me that this is getting more and more unsustainable for living forms and for sanity and for wholesomeness and for unity even. And that puts the onus on us who still have those values, to hold to them and to be the weird elders or to be, I said last night, the placeholders for a certain type of view that is, I think, more and more precious and maybe more and more of the salve or the balm that is desperately needed.
3: Yeah, thank you. You're welcome.
0: This has been In the Deep. You can find the entire list of In the Deep podcasts at katharineingram.com where you can also book a private phone session and view upcoming events such as our monthly Zoom sessions. I want to deeply thank our donors for your support and encourage our other regular listeners to consider making either a one-time or recurring donation. We would also be grateful for a review on Apple Podcasts or on whatever platform you're listening. Till next time.